Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Dean Barnes. Dean is the creator of NHL Black Hockey Card Collection, um, which I'm really excited to hear about and to chat with him. He's also a superintendent of education, which we're going to hear about in Canada. Welcome to the podcast, Dean. Welcome. Thanks for having me on, Jono. Yeah, I've really been looking forward to chatting with you. I mentioned there in in the intro that you have... um, uh, you're obviously the creator of the NHL Black Hockey Card Collection, but you also um, <laughs> you know, wear a couple of hats because you're also a superintendent of education, which is a, a full-on role. So tell us in your own words, you know, um, about both of those and just generally sort of fill in our listeners for what you do, Dean. Yeah, um, I, I, I've been a high school administrator for over 20 years in a school district that's about an hour away from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And um, my last high school principalship was uh, leading a staff of over 100 and, uh, staff and 1,100 students. And um, my leadership of this school focused on uh, leading a healthy school vision and included emphasis on student well-being, involvement in athletics, arts, and co-curriculars. We um, just tried to um, look at the whole child, and uh, everything we did in the school was emphasized on um, helping kids be the best. At, uh, at everything. So recently, a year ago, I was uh, shifted into the role as school superintendent. And in um, Canada and in Ontario, uh, we have a number of school superintendents. Our school district has 10. And uh, in my role, I supervise and support both elementary and high schools and also have responsibilities leading a team of staff to implement our school board's uh, mental health and well-being plan as guided by the province of Ontario. In terms of the um, black hockey card collection you you mentioned, it's a leadership initiative I've taken on outside of my role, just a, a hobby, but important hobby. And I create a um, hockey card collection of 100 players who have played uh, in the NHL who are black players. And the National Hockey League has historically largely been a white sport. So uh, one of the things I wanted to do during the pandemic was um, amplify and highlight the um, those players um, and uh, recognize th- uh, those players who have played the game since 1958, starting with Willie O'Ree. So I'll, I'll stop there and I'll let you continue. <laughs> continue on. Yeah, no, it's uh, incredible work you're doing, and we will make sure uh, before the end of the podcast that we uh, also make it really clear how people can find out about that. And um, because I think it's it's an amazing initiative, and I. Yeah, I just really love that you're doing that, and um, it's uh, it's it's great as part of a leadership conversations podcast. Uh, that you know, obviously, we're talking about ideas, but I always do really enjoy when someone's got something like that that you've you've you know, it's not just an idea or wisdom or a principle that you use. It's like okay, here's something you've actually pioneered and you're doing um, as a leader, which is which is amazing. So, congratulations on uh, on that initiative. Let's jump into your story uh, and. 
I'd love to hear, starting with your childhood and growing up in that season of your life, as you reflect, what were some of the moments or even themes that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today? Yeah, for me, my, um, my parents um, were born in Jamaica. They um, grew up there in the 40s and emigrated to uh, England in their teens and then came to uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And uh, that's about an hour from Toronto. So that, that's where I was born and uh, started my schooling when we moved to Burlington, Ontario at uh, three, four years old. And being uh, first-generation immigrants, um, the community I lived in was, was mostly all white. At the time, um, there wasn't a lot of diverse, diversity in the uh, region I lived in. Um, the community was very positive and welcoming. And um, I have very fond memories of the community I lived, lived in as a young person. Um, when I was three years old, I remember um, being very active in elementary school that was uh, right beside my home. I had many friends and uh, my older brother was four, four years older and had lots of uh, uh, fond memories of playing uh, baseball, uh, soccer, uh, street hockey. So there was a real sense of community and it was sort of the, the days that, uh, you know, you come home, you do your homework, you go out and play, you wait for the, you wait to be called in for dinner you, and then you go out and play again. And that was sort of the, the memories uh, I had. I, uh, uh, sports played a big part in my life. And when I was um, in grade three, I remember excelling in high jump and um, running in track and field and cross country. And high jump was uh, so much part of my life. I you know kind of dreamed of being in the Olympics one day and and uh, being a high jumper. And I, I distinctly remember uh, one summer, the school gave me the high, high jump pit. They were getting a new set and they gave me a new high jump pit uh, uh, set. The, the older one was given to me. And um, I would practice in the summertime with a bamboo uh, pole and and uh, just try to perfect uh, high jump. So that, that was uh, something that I remember at, at a young age. Um, I, I also remember uh, ice skating and playing hockey when I was seven years old. I first started skating. My sister took me out of the public rink near our house. I played hockey at the highest competitive level, starting at uh, age nine, traveled from city to city, and um, met very memory, very fond memories of establishing long uh, friendships with um, people that are still my friends today and even in my 50s. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I am a sports uh, fanatic. I, I love uh, all sports. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before that when I was growing up, I remember, you, you know, there were less channels on TV than there are now. You can really, you know, if you love sports, you can be watching anything. But here in Australia, there were only sort of three or four channels. Well, that's all That's all we had when I was when I was younger. And so I remember sometimes I would just watch lawn bowls, which I had really no interest in, but I love sports so much that I would, if nothing else was on, I, I would be sort of like, oh, okay, well, I'll just watch some lawn bowls. And, um, and it's not for everyone. I know a lot of listeners may not love sport, but when someone like yourself mentions, you know, growing up and playing at such a high level, I'm interested, what are some of the lessons you learned? You mentioned the friends that the friendships that have lasted this long. What about the lessons yeah. you learned, even as a nine-year-old playing hockey? What, what are some lessons from playing sport that have stuck with you in leadership? Yeah, yeah there's a few distinctive ones that uh, even to this day, I, I still 
remember and and uh, my friends are still in the neighborhood who played with me still remember um you know being down in a series when we were 12 years old uh down two games and uh a coach uh preparing us mentally for the game to sort of just relax and have fun and stick together and ended up uh, coming back and winning that series three games to two and then going on a run for three more series and making it to the Ontario finals. You know, it's just, just little things that you, uh, that teach you to be disciplined and to positively cheer each other on. And, um, a lot of psychological psychology behind, you know, what it takes to win. So, um, lots of lessons learned. We're sort of never giving up how important relationships are, how to su support each other, um, when confronted by challenges and, um, the, the positive influence the coaches had on us at that age were, um, you know, very influential in terms of um, the impact even today and the, the lessons I learned carry into to leadership. Um, you know, um, that sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. The low mm. points, the losses, the commitment, mm. the discipline, um, staying calm. Um, that developed to, developed to this day for me, staying calm and being competitive. So I... Yeah, those are some of the lessons. I, I mean, they kind of thread through all the different experiences, but those were some of the things I remember. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I I just watched um, yesterday morning as we're recording this in in May 2022. Uh, there was the UEFA Champions League, the soccer um, or football, depending on what part of the world you're from. Um, uh, you know, in my opinion, probably one of the 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 best sporting competitions in the world the uh, the european club soccer competition uefa champions league and um the team that won yesterday real madrid uh i i was actually watching and, and i thought it's not always i'm watching a sporting match and there's some significant leadership lesson let's be honest sometimes um you know there's not but yesterday really yeah. struck me because um they said the bit everything you know everyone was saying afterwards was in amazement at the journey this club had been on you know they played probably the three they had the most difficult path into the final they came from behind and had the most ridiculous comebacks three games in a row before the final and and it really reminded me of how much in leadership as well you know we think it's the destination it's the bottom line it's that achieving it's the achieving the vision but so much of the joy and the emotion yesterday of these players as they won was was because of the amazing journey they'd been on because of these moments where everyone thought they were they were out and they came back as a group and it really reminded me of in, in leadership you know to embrace the journey and those moments as a team when you're when you're having to pull something together because there's a a global pandemic that's happening and you you're having to face something that people have really never faced in in gen, you know in generations and what you know, it doesn't always have to be as significant yeah. as COVID, but those are the moments we think it's about where we're going the vision, but actually so much joy and in leadership is about being together with people and achieving, achieving things on the way and having, and coming back from unlikely odds, you know, and, and that's uh, just yesterday, there was a sporting match, like I said, that really reminded me of that. Definitely. For you, are there any moments Very in your it. career that really stand out where a coach, you know, where um, across your whole time playing sport moments where you came back from, you know, an unlikely win, or you just had a team moment um, that really struck you, or you had a coach who, who said something that's really stuck with you, any sort of moments in, in sport that have really stuck with you as a player? 
Um, I, I, I think in, uh, in high school, when I played high school hockey, I remember um, it's one of the uh, teams most memorable for, for me in terms of how we bonded together. And I distinctly remember, I think we were a very disciplined, hardworking practice team. So I think um, going into the role, and I, I was captain of the team, I was the, the leader of the team, but one of the things I tried to always sort of set the stage is um, um, modeling, you know, modeling hard work, modeling readiness. And I think from my recall from the, that experience, we, we were behind, you know, in various games and um, always sort of just never giving up and always sort of just staying focused on, um, you know, positivity and, and we can get through this and just, you know, using all our skills collectively together to overcome the challenge. Yeah. What advice would you give to leaders who are listening and, and maybe they're younger or earlier in their career as a leader and they're going through right now, it feels like they're sort of there for them and their team. Maybe they've lost a couple of key people who've gone to take up other roles or it just feels unlikely. It feels like they're down, you know, two nil with them, you know, minutes on the clock, that sort of feeling as a leader. What advice would you give about how to lead in a time like that where you, you feel like you're, you know, it's a bit of an against all odds sort of um, situation? Yeah, and you, you- and you can make those analogies that various teams lose players to injury or illness or sickness, whatever it may be. But I think it's reevaluating what your skill sets are and what roles you play. You know, I, in various sports at sometimes I was the star, I was the person getting all the minutes, but uh, you know, later on in my career, when I played uh, university hockey, I was a fourth line player and my job was to go out uh, every couple minutes in the period. And um, you know, play a specific role as a checker but um, when people lose players I think you have to reassess who's got the skills on your team and who has to readjust maybe some people have a diversity of skills they've been directed to do this one portfolio but maybe they have to change and adapt and and adjust and and um, lead the team so collectively the sum of all the parts ends up meaning that uh, your team can be successful yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, as you as you grew older, I guess um, stepping away from sports and just talking about your life in general, do you remember the first leadership opportunity or one of the first times where you really felt out of your depth or where you had a group of people you were managing and it was just it was a bit of a step up for you as a leader? I I think uh, I've had those experiences throughout my life. Um, even before I got into formal, formal jobs, um, even university having co-op experiences, I think I, I grew a lot to that point in time because you're, you're into a new realm. You kind of rely on mentors. Um, hopefully people have mentors around them and you, you, you bounce ideas off of them. You, you don't go alone and, um, you reflect upon what things you could do differently and have conversations about envisioning where you're heading. So I, I, I remember always sort of having people around me where I could bounce my ideas off and, and my setbacks and, and readjust. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and along the way in those sort of situations, who have been some of the mentors for you, the people who've had the biggest positive influence on your leadership, Dean? 
Well, first and foremost, my um, my parents, because of the the journey they uh, followed through to uh, to come to Canada, and their their lives were really emphasized uh, education. Their lives um, got them to where they were. My my mother's a retired nurse, and my dad's a retired uh, teacher. And um, my dad, in particular, was um, very much uh, supportive of uh, the students. He was always um, a champion for underserved students. He was uh, well liked and uh, volunteered quite a bit in the community, um, and uh, coached a lot at school as well. So I kind of looked up to the approach he took. I, I did, initially wasn't sure I was going to be an educator, but I, when I became an educator, I was able to start teaching at the same time when he was winding down his career, and we sort of had some great conversations about uh, you know. And I I had observed as a younger person. Uh, the approach he took to education and he, uh, you know, he drove a long distance to, to do the job he did uh, so we could live in the community where we did as well. But, um, but he always sort of, um, you know, made a full commitment. He drive through snowstorms to get to work. He was always the earliest person at work and, and um, you know, the students gravitated towards uh, everything he did and staff really respected him as a colleague. I, I know one of the years he won um, teacher of the year for his school district. Yeah, that's so awesome that you had that role and, model. Uh, you know, I was just going to ask if there are any stories yeah, of your dad. My... Well, yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I talk about driving through snowstorms to work. That was pretty common for him to do as well. And um, uh, receiving the award for teacher of the year. And he, uh, developed a program which was just sort of designed to uh, uh, collaborate and in involve parents into the into involvement in the school and have them feel uh, partners of the school. And I think this is, you know, well before we started talking about those partnerships, he was kind of visionary in uh, running presentations for parents at the school he worked at. So he just kind of was a very likable educator, which is, uh, you know, a skill set that, uh, that I've tried to aspire to, you know, relationships are important and, uh, yeah. um, respect from your colleagues and, um, having positive rapport with your students. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, it sounded like you were going to talk about some other, um, other people there who have really mentored you and inspired you. Yeah. I was just going to also mention, you know, my, my mother being a, a nurse, uh, at, uh, at her hospital as well. And, Again, sort of the, the traits of having to deal with a lot of um, crisis and uh, conflict, but she was always sort of calm in, in, the, in the, how she went about her work. So again, I just sort of had you know, two people to really look up to that were really professionals in their, the work they did. Yeah, that's, um, that's incredible. I, I always do enjoy hearing when people have parents who are such role models. Um, that's amazing. So in your career, I mean, we could talk about so many things, um, uh, Dean, but I want to leave a bit of time in a moment to talk a bit more about um, the initiative that you that you have around the, um, the with the NHL and the cards. Um, but uh, before we get there, are there any aha moments that really stand out to you in your career so far where there were, you, you experienced a shift or a um, an epiphany about something that's really stuck with you as a leader? Um, yeah, I think, I think for me, it's, um, 
Over my career, learning that uh, it's important to give people voice and input into decisions that uh, you're making. And so I, I learned I learned that uh, throughout my career that uh, you end up with more power in the end if you allow people input into, into decisions. And um, people will go through the wall if they, they trust you. Um, I le also learned uh, when I first started teaching that uh, establishing a rapport with students was very important. And um, I transferred that to teaching and coaching. I, I enjoyed doing both. I, I was able to sort of transfer these skills when I became a vice principal and principal. I still tried to establish relationships and uh, involve the stakeholders into establishing the vision that I was uh, putting in place. Um, I also had aha moments about reflecting upon the importance of visibility in the school and visibility for people to see you and about and the conversations you have with people throughout your day and uh, letting, know, letting people know that you're, you're there for them and uh, that you are accessible. And um, other thoughts I've had were just the effect of um, leadership can happen in various forms. I know you're gonna talk later about the uh, NHL card collection, but it's been um, mm. really unique for me to sort of see how you can sort of have, a, have an impact, um, you know, even outside your community with uh, things that, you, that one takes on to, uh, to raise awareness. Yeah, well, let's let's talk a bit more about the NHL cards. I'd love for you to tell the story of, you know, I know you mentioned how it came about, but tell us in a bit more detail how you ended up um, creating this card collection. Well, during the pandemic, I, I everyone was sort of doing different things, walking more, um, uh, taking breaks. Um, some people were baking bread and uh, playing board games, different hobbies. I know that uh, a, a friend of mine was um, involved in continuing on his, his uh, collectible of uh, sports and whether that's cards or memorabilia towards sports and would show me different sites where you can uh, can buy you know old seats from stadiums or um, jerseys from former players. So that kind of got me thinking, and I, I remembered that I had a card collection from 1978-79, and that card collection, if you're familiar with um, the superstar Wayne Gretzky, he's in that collection, and uh, I kept one of those cards from when I was a kid. Now, my, my card isn't valued. Some of these cards can be valued as much as a million dollars. My card isn't worth that much. It's not rated that high. But um, you get the idea about the, the uh, value of some of the, some of the cards and the importance of, of collecting history. So I, I wanted to finish off that set, and I started purchasing cards through eBay. There's about 400 cards in that set. I think I had 250, so... I was, I was able to investigate and make purchases um, to complete that set. And then soon after that set, at the same time, there was um, obviously um, awareness about injustice to social justice uh, uh, around the world. There was um, the George Floyd uh, murder and uh, shined light on inequities towards um, black people and people of color throughout society. And um, those two things kind of intersected for me to reflect upon some of the um, black NHL players who had actually played in the National Hockey League, which is a predominantly white sport, but 
um, over the years. Um, I'm, I'm a hockey fan, sports fan, and I had a bit of an idea of how many players who had played the game. And um, I came up with the idea of uh, collecting cards and starting a specific collection for the players who had played at least one NHL game. So I, uh, similar to the um, collection with Wayne Gretzky, I collected um, the cards and over a number of months, purchased them through uh, eBay. And uh, when I came close to completing the set, I was familiar with a uh, uh, article that was written on a regular basis by uh, William Douglas by the uh, NHL.com, uh, and it was the uh, color of hockey. So I reached out to uh, him, and um, my initial plans were just sort of how could I get this set um, to the National Black uh, Hockey Museum, Mobile Museum. And this is a truck that goes across North America to the NHL cities, and it showcases, um, among other things, the history of the um, Colored Hockey League, which was a league which ran from the 1880s to 1920s in Eastern Canada. And um, my uh, uh, William Douglas decided to write an article about my card collection, and it received a lot of attention. And I was connected then with the NHL uh, organizers who put on this museum. So uh, later on that year, it was decided that um, my cards would go in the museum. And um, that was really neat because starting this past January, it toured around the museum from city to city, along with um, a lot of the other, other artifacts I mentioned that, uh, that were in there. So there were some unique um, players there in this collection, like uh, Willie O'Ree was the first black player to play with the Boston Bruins in 1958. And, um, and then a, a decade or so later, Mike, Mike Marsden from Scarborough played with the Washington Capitals in 1974. Um, and around the same time, Bill Riley from Amherst, Nova Scotia, also played on the Washington team. Uh, Tony McKechnie is a pretty well-known uh, longtime player who played in the NHL for over 13 seasons and scored um, over 320 goals. I met Tony when I was a young person uh, working at a camp uh, when I was 13, 14 years old. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of history behind what the players overcame to um, – to play the game. In some cases, some of them may be overcome racism. In some cases, there may be other barriers to um, to get through the, to, to play the game. I know in the case of Tony McKegney, when he was drafted by the uh, Birmingham Bulls, um, they they I think that that team in Birmingham sort of uh, received pressure from season ticket holders not to um, have a black player play on that team. So actually, he ended up not going to the Birmingham Bulls, and ultimately, that's how he ended up playing for the Buffalo Sabres um, and, and did play in the National Hockey League. But there's just interesting stories behind that that are unknown. And of course, there's, there's lots of players who have played one game, 15 games, 20 games that um, not many people were aware that they actually played the game. So the the number uh, is at least 100 players. There's a few more joined this year. You're black and biracial. There's also interesting storylines such as um, there's many brother combinations in the card collection that I've assembled. There's uh, PK and Malcolm Subban. There's Chris and Anthony Stewart. 
Jemal and Giovanni Smith, and uh, Matthew and Pierre Olivier Joseph. So that that in itself, you can imagine just there's there's different histories that are being um, revealed in short and shared. Some of them are are past. Some of them are very current. That um, just unique to to be able to amplify and and uh, demonstrate to young young people. Mm. Um, whether they're black or not, that there's lots of diversity um, that that could be built in the game. I think um, many people yeah. agree that um, there are some things that could uh, help diversify the, the the league and NHL. And and this is just one of many ways. I'm just one of many people that are part of promoting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to ask you, um, you know, for listeners who who really want to make a difference i love the education piece in what you're doing and just uh just helping people see the diversity that's that's already been there when people haven't necessarily realized that and just maybe opening eye opening the eyes of uh particularly those um uh you know those kids who may not have realized there may have been a block for them to actually think they could be an nhl player uh, so that education and that awareness is is amazing and I guess what I want to ask is for, for people who want to make a difference in this space in bringing awareness and, and education as a leader, no matter what country they're in, no matter what, you know, I guess addressing systemic issues like this in, in the different forms around the world, what advice would you give around how to do that or where to start? Because it can feel overwhelming. It can feel also like a minefield, like I, I, I want to do something to help, but I also don't want to do something that's, that actually ends up being unhelpful um, because, because I just don't, you know, I, I'm, I, maybe I lack awareness. Um, yeah. Do you have any advice for leaders who are listening about how to, where to start if they want to make a difference in, in this sort of space? Well, I think there's some parallels you can make with the, um, what I have described with the NHL Black Hockey Card Collection and in general, um, equity initiatives people are, are sort of digging into right now. And obviously schools, um, hockey organizations, they're, they're just one of many collection of people who can make a difference. And, um, I think we have to recognize obvious barriers that might get in place of, um, of, uh, minorities in sports and, um, you know, improving conditions in the lives of people in terms of their health and financial support. I mean, that cuts across uh, all diversities that we know that um, kids who come to school that are, are hungry and uh, undernourished and, and don't have the financial security that gets in the way of them being successful. So the same thing is in line for some of these, uh, some of our sports that what can we do as a as a town, as a city, as an organization to help assist and um, intentionally provide spaces for people who might not naturally be able to, um, to get in, get in the door. So that that's one piece of advice I, I would obviously would, uh, would give. And I, I just don't, I don't think it's a really one size fits all. I think there's a, a number of things that, that people can do. You know, I, I know that some people are loaned equipment from people. Some some people give drives for people that that uh, don't have transportation to attend some of these uh, to play some of these minor sports. There's there's 
there's a myriad of things that people can do, but um, I think it's recognizing that some people are, are underserved and there might be blind spots for people recognizing just things we take um, for granted that we can access. Mm. And uh, I think it's making sure that those access points are, are open. Making sure that those access points are open. I love that. I think that's really wise advice. I think that's something that anyone can do is review your team, your role, your organization, and um, do a, you know, not just from your perspective, but really try to find out how open are the access points here? Where where have we, without realizing it, sometimes unintentionally, um, created closed access points for for certain people? And what can we do to open that up? I think that's a great starting point. So thank you for, for your thoughts on that. Uh, I, yep. I want to ask, how can people find out more about your um, this initiative um, that you have with the, with the NHL cards if people are really interested, Dean? Yeah, there's a few ways. Obviously, um, um, I connected with you through uh, LinkedIn, so I am on LinkedIn, uh, Dean Barnes. My my daughters helped me create a uh, website called uh, BlackHockeyCards.com, and um, there's also a Twitter at BlackHockeyCard, and there's Instagram uh, BlackHockeyCards. So those are some ways that uh, people can connect with me. Fantastic. Well, uh, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Wonderful advice uh, and stories from from Dean's life. Wonderful to hear him talk about his parents and, and the role models um, they've been for him as a leader as well. Don't forget, listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, two other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to Dr. Dean Barnes. You've been so generous with your time. Um, and I, I've really loved hearing, like I said at the start, for me, it's great to hear stories, but also the initiative that you've kicked off um, is just is amazing to hear about. And, and I really do think it's making a difference and you're making a difference. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, you're welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. 
We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.